Hello and welcome to the Intrepid English Podcast. My name's Lorraine and today I will be interviewing the lovely Ruth, who has been a teacher at Intrepid English for a couple of months now. I can tell you, I could sit and listen to Ruth talking about her life and experiences for hours. I think you're really going to enjoy today's episode. Hi Ruth, how are you today? I'm great, thanks for asking. Uh, it's really nice to have you on the podcast. Um, I love to sit down with new teachers and get to know them a little bit on the podcast. So maybe you could start by introducing yourself. Most certainly. Um, I am a mother to four wonderful sons and a grandmother to seven absolutely fabulous grandchildren. If I could, I would spend my time with all of them at all times, but that just doesn't work because there's a small problem. They've chosen to live their lives around the world, just like their mother did. So their mother was born in the U.S., raised in Germany, then raised her sons in Guyana, South America, and eventually India. Um, their mother, which is I, <laughs> have a German and American passport. And at the moment, I'm living in Scotland. So um, I've gotten around the world. My initial schooling um, was all in German. But because we spoke English at home, it was mandatory to speak English at home. Um, I could make the adjustment to college and then higher education in the U.S. I studied nursing and then education. And only after leaving India, where I lived for a span of 23 years, did I decide to become an English language instructor. So here I am. Wonderful. You have so many awesome stories. I <laughs> I love listening to you talk about your travels and your experiences. Um, I could listen to you talk all day long. Um, so let's try and uh, cover at least a tiny little bit of those today. Yeah, you mentioned Guyana and India. Um, tell me about your experiences traveling and what did... Uh, what did you what did you work as when you were in India? Were you nursing then or working in education? I was doing a little bit of everything. <laughs> um, I was raising four sons, so um, that is a full-time job. And I was teaching in various institutions. And then I also did a lot of social work. Um, in the latter years, the last, I would say, 11 years of the 23, um, I worked in the red light area of our city in Pune. So I worked with children there doing social work. That must have been super tough uh, to work there. Um, tell me, what was it like as a, a white Westerner living and working in what must have been a very challenging area of your Indian city? Yeah, um, it was. And I think as a foreigner, um, as an outsider, um, 
two things can happen. <laughs> you stand out. <laughs> I have blonde hair <laughs> on top of the, the light um, colored skin. So you stand out, which makes you noticeable. And it also, in a way, excuses you because they know automatically that um, uh, I am different. Um, I think differently. I behave differently. Obviously, I come from a different place. So um, um, it, um, it, at times it was a help and at times a hindrance. Um, I think when I went into the red light district, it was helpful because people knew that um, I did not need to be there and that I chose to be there to work with the children and they respected that. So even though you had four kids to look after, you still found the space to um, to look after other kids in the area. That's, Absolutely. that's lovely. Sounds like you've had a, um, a history of, of caring for others. Um, so I think also there's one thing that all of the teachers at Intrepid English have in common, and that's our love of traveling. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think that it really is, it's quite common, obviously, for English language teachers to have trained to teach in order to to travel and use that skill um, working in different places of the world. But um, yeah, you've got a very unique sort of set of experiences um, from from almost everyone else I've met. So uh yeah, did you did you learn how to teach English because of traveling or was it the other way around? <laughs> I I think it was the other way around, meaning um I decided that um to teach English um would allow me to travel and to take jobs um uh, for example where my children are. I'm in Scotland right now because one of my sons and his family moved here. And so I came here to um, be close to them and to trek. My hobby is trekking, which is a little different from traveling, I believe, uh, or it's a unique way of traveling. And I came here to work. So um, teaching English allows me to do that. I will be packing my bags eventually, and I'll go to Spain where another son is living with his family. And that means my grandchildren. And I will be staying there for a while uh, with them and working. So I chose to um, teach English because I have been a teacher past, oh my God, I can't even think, 32 years or so. I've taught various subjects, everything from health to education classes, German, piano, music. And so teaching English is a continuum for me, but it's a way, it's something that's allowing me to make a living while exploring and experiencing the world. So were you able to go trekking when you lived in, in India and in Guyana? I mean, those, those are very different climates to the Scottish climate. Um, <laughs> how much were you able to sort of get those boots on and, and go walking? Well, in those years, to be honest, um, I could not do very much. I had small children and um, it was a different season in my life. So my focus was my family, you know, it was my children but um, I always, always have loved walking and found opportunities to hike, to walk, 
trekking, which is long distance walking with your backpack, with your food, with your sleeping bag, with your tent. Um, I really only started to do that um, maybe about eight years ago. My first big walk was on the Camino de Santiago in northern Spain. And that's where I fell in love with trekking and just living and walking and being in nature for hours, six to seven hours a day, walking across Spain, uh, experiencing nature, the sights, the sounds, the smells of the land, and meeting people. The people of Spain, as well as other people who were doing the same thing. I think the most daring trek I have done was in New Zealand. There's a, um, a path that goes across both islands, a trail. They call it the Tierra It's 3,000 kilometers long, and I have started that trek, and I hope to complete it once this pandemic is over. Wow, fantastic. I hear that the scenery in New Zealand is unlike anywhere else in the world. Oh, you, you have said it. It is stunning. Absolutely amazing. I found that um, pra practically every five minutes the scenery would change and I'd see something different and interesting from penguins to um, uh, otters to um, profound odd-shaped rocks and the color of the ocean. It was just magnificent, absolutely magnificent. I love the idea that you can start a walk somewhere and fully intend to complete it at a later date. It's like an unfinished goal that's that's always ahead of you yeah. in that regard then. Yeah, I, I think um, there are different approaches to trekking. For some people, they have a goal and they must complete it to be content with that process. For me, trekking is an experience. It's a way of traveling, but it's more about um, living in the moment and experiencing the land, the people, nature, myself. And um, I don't have to finish a certain distance to, to feel like I have accomplished what this trek was supposed to do within me and for me. So there have been times when I have completed an entire trek, you know, the Camino de Santiago, the French one, you know, east to west across Spain. Um, I have walked from um, the southern part, um, Cadiz, all the way to Santiago, south to north. But there have been other trails that I have started and I came to a place where I felt content, just satisfied. Mm. And that's when I stopped. And I say, now this is done for now. Yeah. And um, I have the intent to go back, um, especially to New Zealand. That trail is, I tell people, it's calling me. Yeah. <laughs> it's calling me, and it does. Mm -hmm. Certain trails call me. Yeah. That seems like an allegory of language learning as well in many ways it's mm. it's not about the the final destination this elusive fluency um that that people want to yeah quantify and they might feel like there's a certain point at which they've achieved it it's much more about enjoying the journey 
um, being present and appreciating the small victories as well as you 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 hit different milestones. But um, yeah, I think that also another thing that your story and um, the process that you described have in common is that you need to start where you are and just keep making progress. It's about moving forward at your own speed and um yeah um like i say enjoying the journey and appreciating the the process there and and the privilege of being able to okay so if we if we take the the walking for example the privilege of being able to to move yes absolutely and, yeah with language learning the privilege to be able to relate to people in another language both mm-hmm. are really just wonderful experiences I like your comparison there and an analogy Certainly, um, it holds true in many in many ways. Um, when you're walking for days, for hours every day, uh, one thing you learn is uh, you have to take care of yourself, and you have to know when to stop, when to rest, when to just absorb, let things soak into you, what you've just seen, or um, or take the chance to put your feet into the a lake that maybe you're walking past. And I think it's the same way with uh, language learning. You have to know when to just stop, maybe for the day, maybe for two days, and just let it all soak in and not keep trying to um, achieve quantity, but mm-hmm. yeah, quality and just enjoy the process of learning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And re- repetition, <laughs> also yes. a very important part of both of those journeys. Yes, yeah. yes. You mentioned earlier that you went to school in Germany. But you call West Virginia home in the U.S. Um, I do. Yes, tell us a little bit about West Virginia and where where you uh, where you live when you stay back there. Yes, indeed. Um, uh, West Virginia um, has become home for me, and it has a lot to do with nature. <laughs> I have a small cabin in the woods of the mountains of West Virginia. For me, I entirely enjoy. Um, living in nature, close to nature, where my visitors are raccoons, squirrels, bears, opossums, turkeys, deer, (laughs) you name it, animals. Um, I think after living a very intense life in India with millions of people, I really enjoy the quiet and solitude. And yes, it's a place that I, I tell people, it called me. It also spoke to me. It spoke to me and I made it my home. I, I love it there because it's a place where I find peace and healing and it gives me energy to live the next part of my life's journey, whatever that might be. And at this point, it's, um, it's living here in Scotland. <laughs> so um, I'm, I'm here now, but I, I certainly will return. And we're glad to have you. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) So as a speaker of multiple languages, we were having a discussion in the community this week. The conversation we've been having is about how we think in different languages. So I'd love to ask you your opinion about this. Um, Do you find that there is a difference in the way that you think or in your personality, for example, depending on the language that you're thinking or speaking? That's profound. (laughs) Uh, Yes. I think I have described it in the past that 
uh, that yes, I think my behavior changes because, for example, when I'm in India and I attempt to use Hindi to communicate, with that, with the language, comes a whole set of behavioral expectations and ideas and knowledge, knowledge that I have about what is appropriate, inappropriate, um, you know, how to address a person, how to get um, answers uh, to questions that I might have. So with, it, with that language comes a whole set of knowledge and, um, and also behavior. When I speak German, I know that my thinking becomes a whole lot more uh, rational, uh, structured, um, predictable. Um, again, the behavior, I, I know um, what gestures, what the meaning of gestures have, and um, it changes for sure. Yeah, that's a, that was a profound question and statement you made there. I love to, to learn different words in different languages because I think that they're a snapshot of different um, cultural views and perspectives about the world. For example, the word sundoku in Japanese, which is the pile of unread books that I think everyone, <laughs> everyone has experienced this. <laughs> Anyone who likes reading um, mm -hmm. has experienced collecting books at a faster rate than you can read them. And yep. I love that there's a word for that, you know, in Japanese. Um, That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, but I, I don't know any language well enough to notice a difference in the way that I think in either of, in any of those languages. So yeah, I find it really interesting to, to hear from people who, who speak multiple languages to understand how their personality changes depending on the, the language that they're, they're thinking or speaking in. You know, uh, growing up, my siblings and I, uh, we were bilingual, so we, we all spoke German and English. And we used to speak to each other using both languages. And the determining factor, <laughs> the choice of words, often had to do with the word would have a stronger meaning or purpose or be more accurate in explaining um, what I was trying to say. Um, we would choose our words either from the English language or the German language depending on how we believed it would express what we were trying to say. So even though there was a word for it for in either language, one of them would often, from one language, would just express things better. And that's the word we would use. And other people would listen to us and laugh because um, we would be speaking English with German or German with English mixed in one sentence. Code switching. Very tricky. Yes. I, I, I really admire people who, who can code switch. And I know how you feel like, I mean, even though my German isn't great, uh, I certainly feel like it's uh, more effective to, um, you know, curse in German than in English. It just feels more satisfying, I think. It's that, that harsh accent. No it? comment. Wonderful. <laughs> uh, uh, okay, cool. So um, let, me, let me ask a question that I always ask um, the teachers during the Meet the Teacher podcast. And that's, mm -hmm. do you have any advice for students who are learning English before that's either from your personal experience or what you've told students and they've told you it's worked, for example? 
the main purpose for learning a language and for learning speaking any language is to communicate. And for me, communication has to do with relationships, trying to connect with people, understand them, um, express myself, um, be able to understand what they are expressing. So um, I think when we learn a language and when you're learning English, um, you need to just look at it as an experience. It's one more chance to grow as a person, to develop as a person and enjoy it. Um, give yourself time. Uh, allow yourself to be right or wrong. <laughs> and, and it doesn't matter really if everything is correct. The main point or the issue and the main focus should be, can I communicate with a person in this language? Can I connect with them? And I think that's what's important to me. And in my own language learning experience, when I was um, learning Hindi, and still am, <laughs> it has a lot to do with um, connecting with people and spending time with them. In my case, um, I, I lived with an Indian family for two years, and the only way I could speak to them was in, in Hindi. So the motivation was greater, and the, the desire to actually connect with them was deep. So I would constantly ask about words and new words. What is this? And they would speak, say something. And I'm like, what does that mean? And um, they would explain it to me in, in Hindi using the vocabulary they knew I already knew. <laughs> so wow. they would use the, um, the vocabulary base that I had, the, the little pool, the little basket of words that I already had, and they would uh, add another word to it. So it, um, it had a lot to do with relational um, experiences with me, mm -hmm. uh, for me. So yeah. Patience on both sides, I think. <laughs> a lot of patience. Give yourself room. Give yourself time. Mm -hmm. um, allow yourself to, like I said earlier, back off. Just don't even uh, try, to, try to study in that sense. But just try to learn something new and understand it. And then use it. Use mm -hmm. it and um, use it with people in the best way possible. <laughs> Either, um, you know, if, you can, if you're not in an English-speaking country, then uh, find people who, who can speak English or are also learning English. And you can learn together by just trying to speak to each other using English. I completely agree. And I would add, I would add something to that as well. Um, it's obviously a soft skill, but to to think positively about your language learning process. Um, mm. I hear so much sort of self-punishment from students saying, oh, my English is terrible or my pronunciation is terrible or things like this, which are really sort of detrimental to the language learning process. Um, and I always think, what benefits can can you see when you are more positive about learning a language? One, you get to appreciate the milestones and the small victories. Two, mm -hmm. you'll enjoy the process much more when you're not punishing yourself for, for any mistakes. And three, you'll find it a lot easier to meet people and to find language partners if you're looking at it in a positive way. And people will want to be your friend more if you're more positive um, about life in general so um, if you can see it 
in a positive light, it will make everything much easier. And statistically as well, um, you're much more likely to continue if you're, if you're enjoying the process. Absolutely. I agree. Enjoy it. Sit back and enjoy it. Yeah. And just let it be an experience of, of, um, of growth, you know, mm. be a internal growth, growth in our thinking. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Final question. Um, you mentioned that one of your favorite things is blowing bubbles. Um, can you elaborate on that? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Blowing bubbles. Do you know those those um, long um, plastic tubes with long um, wands in them? Yes. And you dip it and then you blow the most magnificent, <laughs> big, huge, floating bubbles. <laughs> and I love to do that with my grandchildren or with any children. I have found... Um, uh, I don't know why, but I just think when I see bubbles blowing, I just get excited as they float and the, and, they, and the light passes through it and you see different colors and um, and um, then you can jump and you can try to catch them and um, I love to blow bubbles. They're hypnotizing, do aren't they? They are. It's just uh, hypnotizing and energizing <laughs> and, and for me, stimulating. I'm just like, wow. Um, Yes, and the, the most fun is to do it with my grandchildren now. I used to do it with the children in India. Now I do it with my grandchildren when I can. Oh, that's lovely. <laughs> Thank you so much for giving me your time. Thank and you. I'm sure Thank the, you. the listeners will agree with me that we need to have an entire series of Ruth and uh, <laughs> her wonderful stories. <laughs> and all told in that beautiful voice. Um, Maybe, maybe we can make that happen. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode. What a lovely conversation. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. You can book a trial lesson with Ruth by going to the Intrepid English website at intrepidenglish.co.uk. If you liked this episode, please take a second to rate and review the podcast. It helps other English learners to find us. If you're listening on YouTube, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. From all of us at Intrepid English, have an awesome day.